0: Welcome everybody to day two of our special pre-Hanukkah season of light program, Light Out of Darkness, Awakening Your Hidden Spark. I'm very excited actually to bring you the guest that I have today. I have actually never had more than a short conversation with him but I've listened to several hours of his work online and um, had some email back and forth and spoken to some people who who know a lot about his work and it's really all about the mystical nature of the universe, and the mystical nature of light, and human consciousness. So I'll be introducing Rabbi Trugman very shortly in an official way. Before I do, let's make our connection. As always, when it comes to these Gate of Unity events, or any events, it's it's not only about the often mind-blowing information that's shared here, but really about the deeper light and the energy that that information is connected to. So when we talk about ordinary information, we we deal with facts and figures and how to do things and how to take things apart and put them together, what it means. When we deal with spiritual information, especially when it's from the blueprint of creation as this is, it's connected to that bedrock that we talked about so much yesterday. It's connected to the ultimate source and you could consider the concepts that are being discussed here, the ideas that are being shared as kind of carrier waves for actually for divine light. That's part of the idea of hidden light, not the whole thing. So I just want to encourage everybody to take a few moments, close your eyes, and let go of whatever has been pulling you out of yourself, pulling you out of your peace and presence. Just notice it. Don't try to push it away. breathe deeply in and out and just notice notice the space between your breaths the feeling of your breath as it moves through your body notice any sensations you might have in your body pleasant or not racing thoughts emotions desires wishes fears frustrations disappointments anything let's just bring it all into our field as we breathe together in the awareness that between us, within us and around us is infinite divine consciousness loving and creating helping us to awaken supporting us and that all parts of us are part of the process of ultimate, ultimate unity and harmonization of heaven and earth. Okay, with that, I'm very excited, as I said, to introduce to you Rabbi Avraham Aryeh Trugman. He has 35 years of experience teaching Torah and authentic Kabbalah, including running programs for over 5,000 participants from over 25 countries, he and his wife, Rachel, moved to Israel in 1995 and are now the directors of Or Hadash, which means New Light, a dynamic program that's seen tens of thousands of participants. In addition, through other online and in-person venues, Rabbi Trugman's innovative work has reached many tens of thousands more. He is also, and we love this on, on uh, Gate of Unity programs, he's a poet, author, and a musician. He's published eight books, Seeds and Sparks, The Mystical Power of Music, The Mystical Meaning of Dreams, The Mystical Nature of Light. Return Again, The Dynamics of Reincarnation, Orchard of Delight, Secrets of the Star of David, and Becoming a Master of Time. Wow. He's also re- released five music discs, Strings of the Soul, World to World, Symphony of the Spirit, Mode, Modeani, which means I, I Thank You, it's the prayer that, um, that Jews say every morning, the moment we wake up, and Merkava, which is the chariot. Um, also i listened to a series part of a series not it, it was there were a lot of uh, i listened to a couple of hours of a series before i actually invited rabbi trugman to come on our show a, about awakening prophecy and the idea that that inner spark of prophecy that i that comes from our most in, intimate connection to all there is and the source of all there is that it's awakening in us in various ways even today So with that, (laughs) and with a lot of anticipation, I want to thank you for being with us today, Rabbi Trugman.
1: Well, thank you for having me. After that long introduction, (laughs) I can finally say hello to you (laughs) and all of the listeners.
0: All right. So when we talked briefly, I asked you to tell me what what, what excited you most about these times and what concerned you most, and you said something so cool which was a quote from Dickens. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. So I'd love to ask you to start out by just elaborating on that. What do you see? What do you feel? And um, what does it mean to you?
1: Okay, it's uh, it's a good line from the, the start of his uh, his book, but it's, it's really the way I relate to the situation in the world is that um, – I, I'm going to quote something from the Kabbalah, from the Zohar, which says, One half of my heart is crying, and one half of my heart is laughing. And the usual ex- explanation is, uh, like King Solomon said, there's a time to be joyous and laugh, and there's a time to be sad and cry. Now that sounds pretty obvious, but um, if everyone would just think how many times they've been at a joyful occasion and yet they haven't felt very joyful. Hmm. Or they were at a, a funeral or a sad occasion and truthfully they didn't feel so sad. So it's not so simple to know how and when to be joyous and when to be sad. But the inner explanation is that simultaneously we need to always be laughing and always be crying. And the way um, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach explained it was when I look at the world I see such a broken place, so much darkness, so much pain, so many wars, so much sickness, that how can my heart not be broken? Mm. At the very same time I look at the world and I see how much how, how how wondrous it is and how many things there are to be grateful for and how many good experiences there are to be had on a daily level. How can I not be happy? So this is called balancing the paradox of life, and that's that's how I see the state of the world now. The, you just pick up any paper, and um, even in the, in the last 24 hours, it's just terrorism everywhere. War, terrible wars, um, just a lot of darkness and um, everyone knows that, you know, someone pushes the wrong button and we could literally blow this planet out of existence. On the other hand, (laughs) there is no doubt that there is a great awakening of people all over the world of higher consciousness. It's what we call the global village, a a more universal way of relating to the human race and the concerns of humanity, whether it's the world trying to come together and deal with the environment, or because of technology, the world has become a global village. It's just astounding that... Truthfully, even though we take it for granted, the fact that I'm sitting here in Israel and talking on a telephone, and I assume there are people all over the world listening to this simultaneously, is, is, it, is it a, truly a wondrous occasion.
0: True. think about it all and, the time. But that is
1: happening in consciousness also. So there's a lot of light, and there's a lot of darkness in the world right now.
0: What do you mean when you say that's happening in consciousness? What comes to my mind, actually what came to my mind while you were talking was that when you mentioned a global village, that in a way that's also um, mixed a mixed blessing. Like on the one hand, we can all affect each other, and one of the things that I think comforts many of us is that our consciousness does have an influence on reality and how it unfolds, ours and um, and reality in general. But then on the other hand, we are so intimately affected by anything that happens to anyone anywhere, and that's pretty intense.
1: Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, Most things in this world are like a double-edged sword. Um, uh, Like we said, half of my heart is crying and half of it is laughing. This kind of paradox actually runs throughout all of reality. And so, obviously, technology itself has many downsides, actually terrible downsides. And at the same time, it has incredible upsides. So when we think of uh, what I I meant of uh, a global village and an increase of awareness, Let's say three hundred years ago there was a earthquake or a tsunami or a flood somewhere. And whatever, hundreds of people are killed and injured, God forbid. The, the world wouldn't even know about it for six months to a year, if ever. Now something happened somewhere. Um, I'm proud to say, um, and this has been reported many times um, Israel has a, uh, a a immediate reaction and help and support and money and governments come together all over the world um, to try to help a situation so that's an example of a type of consciousness um, if, Um, promoted and nurtured could lead to some of the the prophecies of the um, prophets of the Bible where eventually all of humanity will come together and there will be no more war and there will be no more hatred and people will simply work together as best as they can so, like I said, technology or um, the advances of civilization, we on one hand, we've never been able to kill more people in war so quickly. On the other hand, in communication and medicine, the advances are, are incredible, absolutely incredible. So we stand, we go back to our original statement it's the best of times and it's the worst of times
0: so you mentioned biblical prophecy and i, I want to focus on that for a bit can you talk more about the world that we're i i i've used the word geula in the emails that i sent out here i have some of my students are on the line some people probably never heard me before um some people in between so can you talk about where we are in this best of times and worst of times, and where we 're going you you previewed it a little bit it 's not always going to be that there are tears in the world that 's just where we are right now in this in this plane of transformation but i'd love if you could speak to that from your perspective
1: okay i can I can try to answer that in in, in two ways first of all is anyone who reads um, the biblical prophets of Isaiah Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and in fact all of them, they all uh, said more or less the same thing, and it's actually based in the book of Deuteronomy, that the, that the Jewish people after thousands of years of exile and diaspora and oppression and being scattered that in what's called the end of days would be gathered once again to Israel. Israel would be transformed from a really a desert, a wasteland to a uh, virtual garden of Eden. That Jerusalem would be rebuilt and would become the spiritual focus of the world. And all of this is before the final redemption and the Messianic era, hmm. so here we sit in uh, 2016, almost 17, and we see in the last hundred years uh, these prophecies are are coming true before our eyes. It's it's almost undeniable. You just read what they predicted. And they predicted a long, harsh, uh, dark exile. And uh,
0: been there, done for that. Those who
1: have who have read the prophets. I'm sorry.
0: I said been there, done that.
1: Yeah, right. And so we we are experiencing um, what we call re- the beginning of redemptive times. Now, along with. It's not just the, the ingathering of the exiles and the, and the reestablishment of the state of Israel. Along with this comes a, a elevation of consciousness. And it is, it is, no one knows how close we are to the messianic era. But if all of these prophecies that were predicted, again, not by one or two people, but uh, The Bible is full of these prophecies, and they're all coming true. So there is every reason to believe that the last part of the prophecy, which is the redemption, which is not just for Israel, it's for the entire world. And the prophets spoke about it as the consciousness of God would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. In other words, they they predicted that along with um, a physical redemption would come a spiritual redemption of higher consciousness. Now, I said I wanted to uh, give two different answers here. The Zohar is the uh, foundation book of uh, Torah mysticism. And it's not a prophetic book per se, but in it it does have a whether we call it a prophecy or prediction. And what it says is, in the 600th year of the sixth millennium, the waters from above would come and flood the earth, and the waters from below would rise up and also flood the earth. Now, this is based on the fact that Noah was 600 years old at the time of the flood. So, and the Zohar finishes by saying, all in preparation for the coming of the Messianic era. So how do we understand what are these upper waters that will flood the world and what are the lower waters? So the lower waters, it's understood, means a uh, physical change in um, the, w- the way people live. Now, I didn't mention that the 600th year, mm-hmm. the 6th millennium, is, was 1840. Because right now in the Hebrew calendar, we're in 5777. And so it was 177 years ago was the beginning of the the 600th year of the 6th millennium. Now, it's understood that this is the end date. So just like someone has a birthday and you ask them, how old are you? I'm 7 years old. But it really means the person's in their 8th year. Right. So when we say 1840... It really began in 1740. And so physically, this is the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Until the Industrial Revolution, not much had changed on a physical level. In other words, until 500 years ago, if someone wanted to get from one city to another and there was 50 miles between them, they could either go by donkey by horse, by ox, <laughs> and this is the same thing 5,000 years ago. And nothing, nothing had changed all that much. Maybe the, the wagons were a little bit better. Maybe the wheels were a little bit better. But as far as how human beings lived and farmed and built, there were improvements, but not so many. And then comes the Industrial Revolution, and Everything begins to change. And we are still, what we call the technological revolution, is just an extension of the industrial revolution. If we think about it, it's only 100 years ago that man started to fly. It's only 25 years ago, or 30, whatever, that we have email, faxes, computers running the world, scanning Uh, instantaneous television, radio. These are all very, very new things. So that's the lower waters that are flooding the world. And the upper waters are the belief that um, the world is also being flooded with um, new spiritual light. And according to many people, 1740 is right around the time of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov is the initiator of the Hasidic movement. And he brought a whole new light of Torah and revealed it to the world. And we are still in that process also.
0: This is, that's, the so, level, that's the level specifically I just wanted to say that I call authentic Kabbalah. So basically everything that we, that we learn here under that umbrella is, did begin with Balsham for the most part.
1: Absolutely. Listen, if we think about it, until maybe 30, 40 years ago, a book of Kabbalah was inaccessible to anyone. Now you can walk into bookstores all over the world in almost any language and get scores of books on on Kabbalah.
0: It's really interesting. It's an amazing thing. It is it's amazing.
1: A flood from above.
0: When I first got when I first was acquainted, just first introduced to this it was thirty some odd years ago. There was almost nothing in English, almost nothing whatsoever. So that's not a long time ago. That's my, in my own time, I've just seen it evolve. Right. I think So the change is accelerating. Also, you're describing the change, but it's it, the the rate the rate of change seems to be getting faster and faster on both levels.
1: Yes, I agree. I agree. Actually, if I if I could share, um, yesterday was uh, in. It has become almost a universal holiday in Israel, but the the founder of the Chabad-Lubavitch um, Hasidic movement, on this day, um, whatever it was, 200 years ago, um, he had been uh, arrested for tr- trumped-up charges of treason. And on this day, he was freed from um, from jail. And so in the Chabad movement, but it's really been... Uh, spread this idea that this day is um, like an anniversary of the spread of the deeper aspects of the Torah, the inner dimension, the mystical tradition. So I was at an event last night in Jerusalem at the main convention hall, mm. and they had a, a, a book sale of Hasidic and Kabbalistic Text. I there were thousands of people there, thousands and thousands and thousands of people there, and they, they had, it almost funny, they had grocery carts, <laughs> and people were going up and down the, the rows, filling up, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, not in the least, grocery <laughs> uh, shopping carts, Full of books on the, on the mystical inner dimension of the Torah. And I left at 1230 at night, and the place was packed, and, and it was booming.
0: <laughs> A new view so, on Israel, guys, <laughs> for those who just so this, hear the news. Is the
1: flo- this is the flood coming from above.
0: <laughs> wow, incredible. It's incredible. And who, which, what prophet says that there will come that the, the days will come when there's a thirst in the land, not for not or, or hunger in the land, not for food. And can, can you quote that, or maybe you can't? I'm oh, sorry if I'm putting you on the spot. One? Not uh, for hunger or drink. I'm getting it. A, I'm paraphrasing, unfortunately, but but for um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I don't want to say the wrong one.
0: Right. Okay. So <laughs> can you paraphrase. it? It's, it's
1: one of the twelve. It's one of the 12 what are called minor prophets. It's not, um, it's not Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. It's one of the 12 oh, okay. minor prophets who said that. And I, I just can't remember offhand right now.
0: Okay. But,
1: but yes, he said that there will not be a thirst for water or a hunger for bread, but the, the thirst to hear the word of God.
0: Amos looks like I just googled it. Wow, yes. So we see that we see that not only you know it's interesting to me because uh, as a lot of my listeners know, a lot of my listeners came to know about me because of because I hosted telesummits, mostly featuring energy healers and and, um, authors and mentors in that venue, and it, it was very. Mm-hmm. eye-opening for me and so amazing to see that there is a, spe- a search for God, uh, for spirituality, not just in people who are from religious background, not certainly not just pe- from people who already are connected to the Torah, but it, for, it, for, of pe- in people in general. And it's, one of, to me, one of the most powerful signs of where we are in history because our consciousness, there's an automatic, you know, when you look at a birth process, the mother is giving birth, the doctor's facilitator and the midwife or whatever, and the baby's just kind of getting pushed out. So it doesn't really have much choice in the matter and it doesn't really have much, um, there's not much it can do to help as far as I know. So in a way, that's not really true of us, uh-huh. but there's a way in which it seems like we're being influenced from within, you know, the trends that we see, not just in, in politics and the news, but the trends that we see in human evolution are just happening. They're just happening and they're new uh-huh. and they're accelerating and where did they come from? It's just something to really think about it's not Absolutely. just it's not just arbitrary i know when the movie the secret came out one of the um i don't know what how to describe it but one of the i guess promotional ideas that they used was that this is a secret that people have known forever that they've kept from you but i keep saying and um and certainly i believe that even though there were some perhaps unique individuals in history that could do things that um that most other people can't do in our times the ordinary person can do things that even the greatest, most holy person, in, in many cases, couldn't do in the past. And this is just something that's we want to collaborate with it. We want to align with it. But it's happening, whether we like it or not. At least the energy for it is flooding into the world.
1: Uh-huh. Yes, I agree, hundred percent.
0: So, do you find that? Well, first of all, what? How do you? How would you um describe what in us what in us is being awakened when we talk about higher consciousness or awakening what actually is happening
1: That is um, a good question How to describe that
0: feel free to take your time and just feel any time
1: you yeah anytime you're trying to des- you know trying to describe the soul is a little bit like trying to describe God.
0: That's going to be my next question according actually. To <laughs> yeah,
1: according to our tradition according to our tradition there really is there are no words or descriptions for God because the reality of God is, is so far beyond our normal experience. But it's the same thing with the soul. And that that's a little bit of the problem is that the... Um, I'll give a, a uh, kind of like a visual um, explanation here is that the Torah is... Uh, compared to a tree. In in a few verses, it's called an Eitz Chaim. The Torah is called the living tree, the same tree, of life. tree that was in the Garden of Eden. a The tree of life, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Interesting enough, um, again, in verses in the Torah, a person is compared to a tree. In this world, a tree, its roots are in the earth and its trunk and branches reach upward towards the sky. The soul, we're told, is a mirror image. The root of the soul is actually not in the body. The root of the soul is on a higher plane, a higher spiritual dimension, 100% connected to this physical world. And actually, and so the, so the roots of the soul are actually above, and the part of the soul that manifests in this world comes below. So it's a mirror image of a tree in this world.
0: That's really cool. The tree
1: is rooted below and reaches above and the soul is rooted above and reaches below. So for many people for many people the without making the effort or without divine grace we are not all that aware of the soul, we're aware of the lower levels of soul that happen to manifest in the body. It's just like many, many people are aware of a divine power in the world in existence, but many people are totally unaware or even um, very... uh, uh, forcefully don't believe in a divine force so obviously if god was so revealed everyone would would know it god is very very hidden yet revealed in this world and so is the soul the soul is very revealed and yet very hidden
2: Hmm.
1: so it all depends on our consciousness how aware we are of our own soul and how aware we are of the divine oneness that encompasses all of reality. We could be totally oblivious to both of them, or we could be completely at one with and focused on our soul and God's presence in the world and God's presence within us. So, um, we had talked about uh, uh, perhaps presenting a meditation or two, um, because I know that's what you like to do, and I know that it's uh, very successful. So, there is, if I, is this a good time?
0: Sounds like a perfect time, yeah.
1: Okay. So, I just want to mention, many people know this, that the holiday of Hanukkah is coming. And we're told that one of the most auspicious or um, favorable times to meditate is while watching the, the, the candles or the lights of Hanukkah. And the reason for this is that light has a special, the soul has a special affinity to light, and light has a special affinity to godliness. So when we sit and we watch our Hanukkah lights, we're told that this is one of the, the best uh, times, the most auspicious fitting times to allow ourselves the luxury to meditate on, on the soul. And one of the reasons is because there is a verse. And the verse says, The candle of God is the soul of man. Just very few words. I'll say it again. The candle of God is the soul of man. So we're told that this is a a very very beautiful verse to to meditate on in order to integrate the connection between the soul and mm-hmm. the creator. So I just want to say that that Kabbalistic meditation has many forms that are similar to other types of of meditation, Eastern meditation, or uh, mindfulness, or other other systems of meditation. But there is a unique uh, type of meditation that is connected to a very, very long and and ancient tradition within Israel where we don't so much empty our minds of content. We do just the opposite. We take a verse or a story in the Torah or a figure in the Torah or a concept or an idea And we meditate on it until we extract from it its full spiritual and divine power. So here we have a simple verse that it it works wonderfully when sitting before a candle, especially a candle like Hanukkah candles, but it can be done mentally also is to contemplate what does that verse actually mean the candle of god is the soul of man and there's no really one answer to what we can extract from that verse but i uh, invite the listeners if you if everyone wants to take just uh, even 30 seconds uh, of the silent contemplation to actually think of what is the connection between the soul and God? And also why is light the uh, here it's the metaphor. The, obviously we don't mean uh, literally a candle of God, but the metaphor, it, it, there is something about light, and so even if we just close our eyes and imagine ourselves just surrounded by by light, surrounded by something beyond this world, something more than just the physical, superficial reality that we go through 24-7, but that we take a moment just to stretch our inner potential to feel that my light and God's light are really one. And now that we're in a meditative state, I'd like to give over one more idea. And that is the cardinal statement of faith in the Torah is, Hear, O Israel, God our God, God is one. So the idea that God is one, so this is what we call the foundation of all monotheistic religions, but it means much more than just God is one, meaning there's one God. It means that in essence, all existence and reality are nothing more than an extension of that oneness. So it's not just that God is one, but ultimately we are all part of the oneness that manifests from God. Now in Hebrew, the word for one is echad. Echad means one, and it's made up of three letters. And for those who know a little bit about um, Kabbalah, gematria, or numerology, is a a very, very important tool. So the three letters of the word echad, one, each letter has a numerical value. So the first letter equals one, the second letter equals eight, and the third letter equals four. And our rabbis and sages gave us a visualization, literally a visualization um, of a type of meditation where we envision that the oneness of God is, as it were, very, very high and distant, as it were. The... Second letter equals eight, and this represents the seven heavens and the earth. Seven and one is eight, and the last letter is equals four, and that represents the four directions. So we're given this beautiful visualization that when we contemplate the oneness of God, And this is a big uh, subject in quantum physics today. Quantum physics is now on the cutting edge of understanding something that the Kabbalah has understood for thousands of years, and that is the critical importance of human consciousness in creating reality. Anyone can Google... The role of consciousness in quantum physics, and you will be amazed <clears throat> what they are understanding. And this is actually very, very mystical realizations that science is coming to. So, going back to our visualization, we're told that we should imagine that we have the power and the responsibility of drawing God's oneness through the seven heavens to the earth. And, of course, the idea of seven heavens is very symbolic, but what it really means is now science is talking about um, parallel universes or string theory. We're talking about ten dimensions or, in some Versions of string theory 11 or even 26 dimensions, not the four that we talk about. So the seven heavens and earth represent all the different levels of reality. So we, in our mind, we try to draw the oneness of God from a place that is beyond time and space and draw it through all the different levels of reality until it manifests in this world. And then the last letter equals four. And then our mission is to spread that consciousness to the four directions of the world. So just to review again, we, take, we try to draw down the oneness of God through the seven heavens to the earth, again meaning through all the different levels of physical and spiritual reality, until it manifests in our very physical world, and then to spread and infuse the entire world with the oneness and consciousness of God. So this is a very, very powerful meditation. One just has to remember the word one and the three numbers one, eight and four. And, and this is a very, very powerful medita- excuse me meditation. but we're also told that it describes how the soul comes into this world. The soul, as we described before, which has its roots in the upper worlds, we need, through our consciousness, through our actions, through our, our deeds of goodness, through compassion, through <clears throat> thoughtfulness, mindfulness, caring for other people, we draw more of our soul through these seven heavens down to our bodies, and then we become light beaten beacons that we spread this light to everyone that we can. So here this is very connected to our first meditation of the candle of God is the soul of man. So God who is one who we want to bring down and reveal in this physical world for the whole world to see is the same story of the soul the soul also comes from a very, very high place, comes through many, many, many different levels of reality until it's in the body, and then it needs to manifest its full potential and make this a better world. So that is the, the meditation.
0: Stunning. It's really stunning. I would just add, um, even more than a better world, the soul is here to make it this a divine world. And we're very getting very close to the point. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I, actually, I'd like to ask you, that, that f- first of all, let me just say, something weird is happening because I'm, I, I've written down as you began talking, I started taking notes for myself, questions I wanted to ask you, soul's relationship with God, the levels of soul, and I'd written down the verse, candle of God is soul of man, what does that mean? And I didn't say it out loud, but <laughs> I, I, I have it right here on my document. Anyway, that's very, that's very um, amazing and uh, very apropos. And, and when you were talking about these, uh, these concepts in the meditation, I actually was feeling the energy of it in a really powerful way. So thank you for that. It's very exciting and very profound. I'd love to hear more if you, at the image of the soul, first of all, or being rooted in heaven and coming down into the body, just a small portion of it is also very, very, very powerful. So I guess when we're awakening, higher consciousness is being aware of more of that soul. But what is the actual relationship Here's an easy question for you, huh? What's the relationship between the soul and God? You said it was very hard to describe. So, okay, we understand that. But as you must have thought about it because you're thinking about all of these things and learning about all of these things and teaching about them. So what is that? Like, people we people use the phrase infinite soul. And I know that the, the compared to what our mm-hmm. experience, the soul is infinite. But on the revealed levels, it's actually, in a sense, a creation. It, is it light? Is it... Is it substance? Say more about what the soul actually is, according to your understanding.
1: Well, we're actually told. um, I'm just trying to think if this is um, too complicated or not.
0: Let's go for it.
1: Sure. Would you like me to describe the, the five levels of the soul?
0: Yeah, I, w- I would like you not to hold back because you think something's too complicated here. Let's just go for it. We we're talking about hidden light, okay. and it's the time. Okay. We have to reveal the soul. It's the time. The world depends on it. We, our lives depend on it and to a very real extent. Yep.
1: Okay, so first of all, what you were, you were saying is, um, is, it, it, it is a deep question. Like, is, this, is the soul a part of God? Or is the soul a a creation of God? So we answer, it's really actually both. The main answer is yes, it is a creation. Human beings are a creation just like elephants or stars or trees or snails or sand or any other creation. But we're told that there's something unique about the human soul And we see it in the book of Genesis, right when it's describing the creation of man, which is the the last of the creations. Sometimes it's called the crown of creation because it's the last creation. So first of all, we're told that we are made in the image of God. Now, there's no other creation that is described that way. According to the Kabbalah, Everything has a spark of God in it or it could not exist, whether it's a mountain or a stream or a star or an animal or a or, or vegetation. Everything has a divine spark in it or it couldn't exist. But it doesn't mean that it itself is the divine with a capital T. But, yeah, the human being is described as being in the image of God. Now, of course, there's a lot of discussion. What does that mean, image of God? We know that God has no physical image. So many answers are given. um, But the, the most powerful one is free will. Free will is also a blessing and a curse because it puts the, the, the full responsibility onto a human being. And we're told, though, that this, this is the greatest gift that God could give to humankind, is to uh, fulfill its potential and fulfill its, uh, uh, its full soul possibility on its own merit, through its own work. So so if we want to understand what the soul is, the soul is in the image of God. And that means that, according to our belief, the soul is eternal, and the soul has a infinite potential. Now, it's like, like we talk about the brain. Everyone knows that supposedly we only actually use about 5 or 7% of our brain, literally in a physical sense. In other words, the, the potential is so enormous, we are just scratching the surface. But along with that, we're told that the soul is a creation, but... Again, looking in the book of Genesis, it says that God blew into the physical body the soul of man. And so they ask, well, what does that mean? And so the Zohar gives a a metaphor. And everyone can imagine, um, let's say, blowing up a balloon. That if I want to blow up a balloon usually I have to take a very deep breath in first. And then a person blows with their full force. If you don't, the balloon simply is not going to blow up. So the Zohar says it's the same thing. When God blew into the physical body of man a soul, God was blowing from... His innermost being. So that's the second thing about the soul. Not only are we in the image of God,
0: Rabbi Trugman? It sounds like Rabbi Trugman either disconnected or I did. He
1: got dropped. He'll be right back.
0: Okay. Wow. It's mesmerizing. Listen, while we're waiting, you guys, it's an opportunity. I don't know how much time we'll have, but if you have questions, I know it's compelling just to listen, but um, <laughs> this is your chance. You can type something in in the webcast if you, if you have it. We have some comments, but actually no questions yet. I have a lot of questions. Are you calling him back, Dev? I think I hear them in the other room. I think I hear David speaking on the phone in the other room.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm getting his number.
0: Okay. So what I suggest while we're waiting is that we just um, continue to go into whatever one of those images speaks to each of Hello. us. Ah, here we are. Hi, Robert Tregwin. Yeah, I was cut off. Yes, you were. So, you were t- okay, so I, I think you were talking about, I'm not sure where you got cut off, but um, perhaps where you were talking about how I th- I the breathing. I got cut off
1: where I was describing how what it means that God blew the soul into the body means that there, there's a divine component of the soul. It's not just a creation and that has just like like a rock or a river or a plant which also has a spark of God but here it's it's coming from the innermost dimension of the essence of God itself so that's an awesome potential that the soul has truly awesome so <clears throat> So that, that's an end to answer. What is the soul? the uh, soul is the divine component, and the body is the material. That's why the first sentence in the Torah is, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." So we're told that the heavens incorporate all spiritual reality, and the Earth represents all physical material reality. And that is what a human being is. A human being is a combination of spiritual and physical, the soul and the body.
0: And the hidden, how would you describe the hidden light of the soul? The inner spark or that deeper breath of God?
1: Either one, these are metaphors. Either one works um, very well, um, especially, as I mentioned before, just, just because we are right before Hanukkah, and this is called a pre-Hanukkah seminar, that um, we're told that the eight nights of Hanukkah, first of all, the number eight in, in all cultures, including mathematics, stands for infinite. An eight on its side is the sign for infinity. And so the lights of Hanukkah, on one hand, they represent a a physical uh, victory in war. And on the other hand, they represent a spiritual victory of the spirit. So like I said before, we're told that... Hanukkah is is the most appropriate time to be contemplating the light of the soul, of the connection of the soul to God, the potential of the soul. And light is just the best metaphor for it. Because when we think of light, we just think of goodness and joy and hope holiness and purity and godliness and and spirituality so everything that we think of light is really what the soul that is, that is the nature of the soul <clears throat> unfortunately because of the very very material reality of this world many people have a very very hard time accessing or integrating or balancing the physical and the spiritual. We have to spend so much time um, just dealing with the world, um, putting bread on the table, paying the rent, paying the mortgage, putting kids to school, whatever it is, that um, too many people lose track of a higher purpose in life and and just even just a higher identity of who they are as human beings. So Hanukkah is just a a wonderful time to sit um, by the candles. And every night I I encourage all the listeners out there to, even if it's five minutes, there are many stories of, of, of great mystics who would sit by the candles for hours and hours at a time, hours and hours at a time. And I'll, I'll share something that, that uh, my wife and I do um, um, on the nights that we are uh, home alone. Thank God all of our kids are grown up and out of the house and everything. Um, but when we're not with family or friends... We sit by the Hanukkah light and we, we, we turn on meditative music. And that sets a beautiful ambience because the, the combination of light and music is just a formula for um, not just spiritual experience, but it could even uh, rise to prophetic experience.
0: Is this a good time then for you to sing the song that you said you would bring to the listeners? The soul song.
1: Ah, okay. Okay. Um, so this is um, this is a a, a song that um, a, a very good friend of mine who. Um, Actually plays on all of my CDs, but he he's very very well known. His name is Rabbi Shlomo Katz. And we went to the uh, Ukraine about seven eight months ago, and we we went to the um, the, the resting place of the Bais And during um, that trip, a, a song that came to him, it kind of developed along the way. And I absolutely fell in love with this Nigun. It's very, very meditative. It's a very, very um, deep Nigun. A Nigun is a, uh, a, a song with no words. And um, I just want to say that that in uh, Torah tradition, music uh, is very connected to prophecy. There are a number of uh, stories in the Bible of Elisha and of King Saul, how they uh, achieved prophecy through music, and there's other stories in the Talmud of how music is connected to prophecy. Now, it doesn't mean that we listen to music and, and we're guaranteed to reach prophecy, but it just means that there's something that has so much spiritual potential in music that it's it's a, a universal language. Everyone Everyone loves music. Not everyone loves every type of music, but... Um, everyone loves music but I'd like to suggest that most of the time when we listen to music I, I call it muzak meaning we're listening to the music but it's really just in the background it's like we come home and we're cooking or we're cleaning or we're driving in our car so we turn on the music and it's, it's great it's, it's, it's It's a wonderful pastime, but it's something else altogether to meditate to the music, which means to become one with the music. And I'm sure many of the listeners either have experienced that at a concert or putting your headphones on where the whole world disappears except your connection to that music. That's the type of uh, meditating that we're that we're talking about. So I'm going to sing this this nigun. I hope everyone likes it. I die 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 I
2: dai di die di die I die dai I di di I dai dai A, I die did I die die I did, I did, I did, I did, I did, I I did, 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 I I, You Wow. Isn't that a beautiful mega? <laughs> so beautiful,
0: and the vibration, your voice is beautiful. The vi- even over the phone, there, there were a few keypads <laughs> in the middle, but I, I felt the vibration <laughs> all over my body and it got deeper and deeper, which I guess is one of, one of the um, powers of this kind of soul-arousing, activating song. So the time is going by way, way, way too fast, um, and um, I, I want to... I realize we've not even begun to scratch the surface <laughs> of this conversation. And any other one we could have is a good start. So I, I <laughs> if you don't mind, I want to ask you a bunch of questions at once. And then in the, okay. you know, in the 17, 18 minutes we have left, just figure out what you feel is the most important order to answer, the most important pieces to answer, you know, knowing that this is just the first of hopefully more to come. So uh, and then there's a fifth uh-huh. question. The fifth question is, um, you can answer it first or last, how can people find out more about you, your music, your your audios, your books? Second, and then the four questions, okay, that are content-based. I want to know more about, I want to ask you more about prophecy. What is prophecy? Where does it come from? We talked about biblical prophecy, but what is the internal experience of prophecy for people who can have it? How can we have it? Um, you know, what does the Torah say about prophecy coming back now? Similarly, what is the function of authentic Kabbalah in our times, of, of Hasidus, of, of Zohar, of all of it? And, I, you know, while you were speaking, I know this is going to be a lot. I warned you ahead of time. You can do whatever you want with it, but uh-huh. it's just what's, you know, urgently coming up for me. It, there, we have the transmission of the Torah as the divine download, the, uni- the, the universal divine download for all of mankind, happening like 33 Hundred something years ago, and then we have the different depths of Torah coming out through the various codes that were given to Moses on on Mount Sinai, etc. And then we have the Kabbalah coming out with the Zohar, very very long time ago. But and then there and then it was in a certain sense, and it's not that nothing was happening, but in terms of mysticism, it, it it wasn't there wasn't a very loud noise as far as I understand until this time that the Zohar predicts when the world will be flooded, I guess in a way I'm answering my own question, that the world will be flooded with divine knowledge starting, as you say, um, a couple hundred years ago and just accelerating Mm -hmm. by the minute. But what is the, I guess what I'm asking is, what is the modern day or current advantage of this level of Kabbalah, this level of Torah that's flooding the world right now, the fact that it's available in every language, um, and and connected with that, okay, first who? parts of the question I'm going to pretend it's one big question Mm -hmm. maybe it is we talk about awakening the hidden light of the soul the hidden spark you mentioned how Kabbalah has known for thousands of years what quantum physics is just starting to figure out that people's consciousness can affect the the totality of of reality and their own lives so what Mm -hmm. is the role of prophecy and or authentic Kabbalah in all of that and in the awakening of the hidden light like, sorry for all of the okay. you know words, but I want to get to the core as deeply as I can before we have to say good night or good day or wherever you are.
1: Okay. Um, first of all, I just want to um, thank you very much for, for giving me this opportunity to share. Um, and I want to um, bless you and all of your endeavors with great, great success. Great success.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. Um, back if after.
1: people would um, like to... Um, learn more about our organization or a new light. Please, please come to our website, the Very simple, the or you could just Google or and the Trugman's name will come up. It is a very, very full website with uh, videos, audio, music, poetry, meditation, holidays, um, the months, uh, philosophy, science, just, just name it. And then, of course, people can um, uh, sign up for our email and uh, uh, we can be more in touch. I would love that.
0: The link is also, by as the way. Your um, question... I just want to mention, um, hold on one sec, I just want to mention, David just texted me, the link is up on the call page as well. So, encouraging everybody to oh, go there a- after okay. we're done, <laughs> not, not before we're done. Okay. Okay, please continue.
1: Great. And just so people should know that my, my books are available online and in bookstores all over. And um, yes, I would love to get an email from someone saying, oh, I heard you, and I have this question or that question, I'd be very, very happy to start a relationship. Wow. As far as your your question is, um, your questions, when I quoted before the Zohar, this whole idea of uh, flood of the upper waters and the lower waters, and I mentioned that the Um, The Zohar per se is not not considered a prophecy or a, a prophetic work, but there is a second prediction in the Zohar that is very connected to what we've been saying, and that is that through the study of the inner dimensions of the Kabbalah, that is what will bring the final redemption Closer. Zohar says it very, very, very clearly. And so it's, it's not an, an accident or a historical anomaly that after thousands of years of the Kabbalah being more or less a, a pretty secretive um, tradition handed over um, to really only a few in every generation, it, it, the gates are wide open now and there's no doubt it was the, um, the Baal Shem Tov and uh, the, actually the the publishing of the Zohar itself and the Arizal and Fat all the mystics and Fat but especially the Baal Shem Tov that just kind of kicked the door open and said the world needs these teachings now. So you ask, well what role does Kabbalah have today. Like what's what's the value in learning it? So, other than the individual, private um, uh, elevation of soul that one can get by setting these very deep and profound concepts and contemplating them and integrating them in our uh, life, we're we're told that. These teachings are actually intrinsic to the coming of the Messianic age. And the, the answer is clear, because the result of the Messianic era will be a higher consciousness. Mm. And that is exactly what Kabbalah is offering. So it's, it's kind of like one and one equals two. That um, there, There's a concept called drawing the future into the present. It's a very, very big concept is that we, we try to manifest now what we believe will be in the future. So the study of Kabbalah is drawing the future into the present, but also um, making it more possible to happen. Now, its connection to prophecy... is um, is a very, very interesting thing, because many people have not a completely correct um, view of what Kabbalah is. And uh, I just want to say that even though I I said these high and lofty and profound concepts, what what Hasidus does, the, the teachings of the Hasidic movement, is based on taking everything in the Torah and making it relevant and personal to each and every person. So one of the things that I like to do, uh, especially in, in, in my books and videos and audio classes, is to try to take these very, very deep concepts and try to translate them in a way that they're totally accessible And I'll use the word um, practical. In other words, the translation of Kabbalistic ideas um, into our daily life actually has many practical uh, positive elements to it. It's not just way up in the clouds someplace. the, The principles of Kabbalah can make on a daily level our practical lives um, much more meaningful and effective one of my books is Becoming a Master of Time which is a pretty lofty goal but again I try to take very very um, elevated teachings and actually explain how it can make us on the most practical level, more effective and use our time better and uh, get the, like what we call quality time, how to, how to create quality-focused time. So the study of Kabbalah now especially, um, where, as I explained earlier, as we see the... Uh, the predictions of all the prophecies coming true, so the study of Kabbalah goes with that uh, 100%. Mm And as far as your question about about prophecy, so my uh, second newest book uh, is actually called Prophecy and Divine Inspiration. It's an entire book on... Um, prophecy, and in, in Hebrew it's called Ruach Kodesh, which is literally the Holy Spirit, but we translate it as divine inspiration. And the most important thing I could say is that one does not need to be a prophet. We do not have prophets right now. One does not have to be a prophet to experience prophetic uh, to have a prophetic experience. In other words, they're not the same thing. And today we call prophetic experience, and many times we call it spiritual experiences. But it's the experience of, and this is, these are the words of uh, a very, very famous rabbi called the Ramchal, who explained that having a prophetic experience is the very immediate awareness of God's presence in the moment. And I would imagine almost all the listeners have had that at some point or another.
2: Mm.
1: It could have been on a mountaintop. It could have been by the ocean. It could have been listening to music. It could have been in prayer. It could have been when helping out another person. It could be when uh, divine providence makes itself very clear that a higher force was acting in my life. Everyone has had these experiences. And these are what are called prophetic experiences where we feel completely in 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 the presence of God in in the moment. So um, I don't know how much more time we have, but I would like to um, give everyone a blessing that uh, we take advantage of the incredible wisdom that is uh, available in the Torah Hmm. and that people access it in any way that they can, and that this kind of wisdom is translated into, into light, and that this light activates the soul to long for and desire to be closer to God.
0: Wow. So, I, I think when you quoted the Zohar that this wisdom can bring the world closer to redemption, I think there's also a part, um, where the author of the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon B'Yachai, said that it can bring the world cl- to redemption in, in, with mercy. Correct? Yes, and, yeah. mercy And
1: compassion. And Absolutely. compassion,
0: you're right. right. You're so, right. so we're, we're actually, you know, for those of you, so, and this is actually the last part, uh, um, because we are very close to the end of the hour. When we talk about how to, which we didn't discuss much in, on an overt level in this particular call, there were so many other things we covered, but when we ask about the power of co-creating and the power of dealing with the with the chaos that we're experiencing and um, bringing peace to ourselves and peace to the world, this is to my, in my deep belief, and obviously in yours, Rabbi Trugman, this is the number one path, the divinely empowered path, the path that was given together with the very predictions of these times. And even though not everybody who's listening now came to me for this, you know, we all got together by divine providence, usually for other purposes to hear, you know, other guests that I've had that were not necessarily to our teachers. But the reason that I'm focusing on this and the reason that I'm offering this event and the reason that amazing, amazing, brilliant mentors and, and Kabbalah teachers like Rabbi Trugman, are here with us and giving of their time is because we believe that this is the key to the the, uh, birth of a new world in compassion and mercy and peace. And how much we connect, how deeply we connect, how many of us connect, and how sincerely we connect will make an enormous difference in our own lives and in the world. And I mean that to the bottom of my heart. So um, thank you for it Absolutely. was it was beautiful it was the whole thing was really like a meditation deep so much to to explore but you know sometimes it what we can get is a taste and the desire the deep desire to go deeper in and you've made yourself um, so so welcoming to people so I encourage everybody to check out the link it's on the the call page under Rabbi Tregman's name and um, he invited you to. Email him with a question if you have one. So <laughs> take advantage, take advantage, and let's just continue to co-create this very, very, very special community where we're going as deep and as and 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 as fast and as divinely as we possibly can on behalf of ourselves and everyone else. Thank you so much, and Amen. I, I look forward to doing it Amen. again soon. Thank you. And a happy Hanukkah to you. Thank I'll bless Hanukkah. Uh, you too. Bye bye. Bye everyone. I'll be on again a- in bye. half an hour. Bye bye.